It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, it's Dan. Welcome to our Thursday edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Before we get going, of course, I have to tell you about Football Insider. Let me tell you about something we did uh, today that was kind of cool. So if you listen to the pod on Wednesday, yeah, Wednesday, sorry, I forget what day it is all the time. If you listen to the pod on Wednesday, you heard us throw questions at each other. So I, I got the idea, hey, let's let's go to our Football Insider subscribers, the folks that get our texts. And let's ask them the exact same question. So I sent out a survey. They've been filling it out all day today. I, I've been looking at the results. It's been a lot of fun to see their answers to those questions. So, th- so those are just some of the things we do. And, of course, you know about the Picks Pod we do with our subscribers. You know about the post-game show we do with our subscribers. You know about the newsletter that we send every single day to our subscribers with exclusive content that doesn't show up on the website. It's written by one of, by a member of our Browns team. And of course, you know that you can get access to those exclusive stories on cleveland.com slash Browns. I mean, just a couple of examples. I know Terry Pluto's columns uh, often, you know, you, you got to have that football insider subscription. The Ronnie Harrison feature I did back Thanksgiving week, you had to have a football insider subscription. So th- those are the sorts of benefits you get. If you want to f- check it out, get details, head over to cleveland.com slash Browns, click on the blue banner up at the top of the page and get yourself all signed up. Now onto our podcast. Hey everybody, welcome to our Thursday edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. I'm Dan Lobby, joined as always by Mary Kay Cabot. Mary Kay, how are you? I'm doing really well, Dan. How are you doing? Doing well and also Ellis Williams. Ellis, how are you? I'm cool, man. We're back at that point where I don't know what day it is. Like we had two Monday <laughs> games, a Tuesday game, and Kevin Stefanski tells everyone that it's actually Tuesday today, but I think it's Wednesday. So we're, we're here. So let's do the dang thing. <laughs> well, I also, if, we also never quite know where, where you're going to be. I mean, we kind of knew today because we saw you on Sunday, but are you going to be back in Minnesota? Are you going to be back in, in Crocker Park? So you know, that's always sort of a, nobody knows where they are or what day it is right now. Sometimes the backdrop gives it away, but that's <laughs> right. Exactly. It is vintage 2020. Okay. The Browns got news today that they will be playing back-to-back primetime games. Of course, Monday night against the Ravens, and then they will play Sunday night football against uh, the New York Giants, which is really interesting. They bump the Cowboys off of Sunday night football, which is that's got to be tough to do for these networks to bump the Cowboys, but it certainly helps that they're putting a New York market on there along with the Browns. Um, so back-to-back primetime games. I got four questions here that we're going to ask about the Browns, and we're just going to start there. Of these next two games against the Ravens and the Giants, which one should Browns fans be most nervous about? 
You know, I, I think I'm going to start with, uh, I'm going to go with this Monday night game against the Ravens because for them, it is such an incredible must win game. I mean, they really need this game uh, to try to get themselves or keep themselves in the playoff conversation. Uh, if, if they lose this, uh, it, it's, you know, they're pretty much not going to make the playoffs. So uh, they, they have to have this game. Uh, they, of course, will, you know, they need it for, for AFC purposes and those kinds of things. Uh, and, you know, they've been through heck. The Baltimore Ravens have been through heck. And now uh, it seems like they're getting guys back. They're getting Calais Campbell back. Uh, Lamar Jackson is back. Obviously, he missed this past game. And, you know, I, I, this is the kind of game that I think John Harbaugh is going to really get these guys up for uh, and let them know that it's basically a must-win game for them. And, uh, and I, I think he's really going to have them 100% ready to play this game. Yeah, I tend to agree with you, Mary Kay, and perhaps Dan, I'm positioning you to have to take the New York game here. But with everything Mary Kay said, and then this on top of it, one team has Lamar Jackson and the other doesn't. And when you see what he did last night, I understand it's the Dallas Cowboys defense. But if there's one guy who can just take over a game and beat you and will his team to victory – it's going to have to be Lamar Jackson as we head towards the end of the year here. And that's the position I think this Ravens team is right now. I'm not saying that's what's going to happen on Monday night football. It's just the fact that he is capable of doing such a thing. And when you see New York, it, they're of course respectable right now, but there's just, of course, on paper, not as much that frightens you on top of that. It's a divisional game. And I understand that, uh, the Browns did beat the Ravens once last year, but I still think there's some big brother demons to exercise here with, of course, the Ravens beating the Browns the past two games late last season and then to start the year this year. So it's it's a it's a mindset game. It's a it's a reality check game. And there's just more at stake for the Ravens and, of course, the looming threat of Lamar Jackson. So to get this one on Monday night, of course, um, in a, in a primetime stage like Monday night, even though the game has been flexed now, I think the combination of all that makes this Baltimore game um, as high stakes as there's been. So uh, I'll make the case for the Giants. Um, I, I was thinking about making that case anyway. Um, you know, look, I think the Ravens on primetime and national TV is like the, okay, the whole world is watching to see if the Browns are for real. I, I think the Browns kind of announced against the Titans. We're seeing people buying in on the Browns now after that Titans game. But this is like the moment where everybody's watching on Monday night football and everybody's. So yeah, if you go out and lose by 25 or 30 points again, like it's going to be the same old Browns jokes, but here's my case for the giants. If you lose to the Ravens and you don't get run off the field, if it's just a normal run of the mill loss, Ravens backs against the wall, throwing everything at the Browns. I think you could, you know, yeah, eventually this team's going to have to be able to beat the Ravens. But I think you can kind of shrug that off and say, okay, look, this team was due for a loss. The Ravens had to win this game. They were more, they were the more desperate football team. All right, let's move on. The Browns still, all they really have to do is beat the Giants and Jets. They get to 11 and they're in. I, I doubt there's any sort of situation out there where they're at 11 wins and they get left out. So to me, that Giants game could potentially throw a wrench in everything, especially if you do lose Monday night. And then if you go to New York and lose to the Giants, who I think is, even though they're playing well, that's a team you should beat. Miles Garrett should get four strip sacks in that game against Daniel Jones. Um, if, if you go to New York and you lose that game on a short week on prime time, 
all of a sudden it just throws a wrench into things and makes, makes things a little bit more difficult when you have to play Pittsburgh that last week of the season. So that would be my case for the Giants game, um, maybe being the one that, that would make Browns fans more nervous, just the situation that it could present if they lose that game. Yeah, I mean, that, that's, that's a really good case. I mean, those are some those are great, great arguments uh, that you're making. But I think if you're just looking at the matchup between the Giants and the Browns versus the matchup between, uh, you know, I guess it's the way that you want to look at, at the question, um, just the matchup between the Browns and the Ravens. Uh, I would think that, that the Ravens defense is one that, you know, I think that's why I would look at this game and think, you know what, this is going to be the kind of defense that the Browns have to see that they can handle uh, a defense that can get interceptions, a defense that can get pressure. As I mentioned, Calais Campbell is coming back. Uh, you know, they've got guys that can get some pressure, although I don't even know if they had a sack last night in that game. Um, but it just seems like they're kind of getting, they're getting healthy again. I heard Lamar Jackson talk last night after the game saying that he kind of got his legs back a little bit after, uh, after sitting out uh, because of COVID. So, you know, he sort of felt like he had fresh legs um, and they have so much to prove. So I, I still think that, especially, well, Daniel Jones should be back for the Browns game. Uh, I, I don't think he might be back this week. Yeah, he might be back this week. So there's a good chance he will be playing against the Browns. So I don't think it's going to be Colt McCoy against uh, the Cleveland Browns. So, but I, I still think that, um, you know, that this Ravens game uh, is one to be a little bit more nervous about, because if you do lose this one, then it puts a whole lot of pressure on that Giants game. It puts a lot of pressure going into New York and knowing uh, that, you know, that you almost then have to win that uh, because you have another tough matchup coming up against the Pittsburgh Steelers. Yeah, and the the obvious point here is going 0-2 in primetime, as Dan said, would now be the same old Browns joke, despite the incredible season they're having sitting at 9-3 right now. So um, splitting these is, is a fine world. Um, getting the first one against Baltimore puts them on the right track, but I couldn't agree more, Mary Kay. A slip-up on Monday night makes the Giants game a little more difficult, and then you're still staring at the Steelers in Week 17. Okay, let's move on to our second question. This one was inevitable after the, the way the Browns played against the Titans. They're on a little bit of a winning streak. Uh, you know, they played their worst game of the season against Pittsburgh. And then this particular player gets injured on Baker Mayfield's first throw of the game against Cincinnati. Baker goes on to have one of his best games. Uh, and then, of course, I, I think he probably had the best game we've seen from him in a Browns uniform on uh, Sunday against the Titans. This is going to reignite, and I've seen it a little bit from our Football Insider subscribers. Uh, I'm sure it's been out there on Twitter a little bit. Is it is it time to have the Odell Beckham discussion? Do we need to ask the question right now, is this team better without Odell Beckham Jr.? Or is it just too soon to really even judge that? Or do either of you want to make the case that they are or aren't definitively? You know, I really struggle with, um, you know, that type of conversation where we go down the road that, uh, you know, that the Browns are a better football team or that Baker Mayfield is a better quarterback without Odell Beckham Jr. I, I don't, I don't really like saying that, but there is a part of me. And I, I wrote a column after the, after the first game saying that if, if Odell, if, 
Baker Mayfield was the quarterback of the future and they were committing to him that they should just trade Odell because I don't think that they have chemistry and I don't know that they are going to get chemistry. But I think we should also remember that um, that when that it was the Bengals, he threw five touchdown passes against the Bengals mm-hmm. and then he threw four touchdown passes against the Titans, which was great, but it was also a really bad pass defense. I mean, just we have to be honest about some of those things. It was one of the worst pass defenses, statistically and otherwise, in the NFL, 28th in the NFL. So you're talking about nine touchdown passes when, you know, when, when Odell is out of the lineup against just some really bad defenses. I have a tendency to think that Odell and Baker would have gotten better together in this offense once Baker got better in this offense, once they started figuring out how to use Baker, which they have been doing lately. You got, we've been writing a lot about it. LSU had uh, analysis about Baker's play action. And you know now they know how to do that with him. And they're running play action 34.5% of the time, which is fifth in the NFL. Um, so now that they know how to do that, I think – Odell would have been absolutely fine with Baker in this offense. But, but there have been times where I have looked at the, out there at those two and just think and have just thought, you know what, I, I'm just not seeing it. I'm not feeling it. I don't know. I mean, they probably could do without him. They probably could find a way uh, to be successful without him and, and not have to pay that humongous salary next year. So I think they have to have some hard conversations in the offseason uh, with him, with his agent, with themselves, and sort of figure out which way they want to go with this. Yeah, I'm going to put a bow on what Mary Kay just said there and say that this football team would be 9-3 and three if Odell Beckham Jr. never got hurt. And they're obviously 9-3 and three since he left in that Cincinnati game. And I'd love to find a Browns fan who disagrees. I don't think there is one. So though I just walked myself into stating the obvious, it feels like that needs to be said. Like Odell being on this team wouldn't have lost them any more games. The tell for me, it's the, so Dan, you asked if anyone can definitively say that. It's the NFL. I don't want to say anything definitively, especially in 2020, but Monday night will be the tell. The Ravens, as we've talked about, do two things that really bother Baker Mayfield. They bring pressure via the blitz and they play a lot of physical man-to-man defense on the outside. The Cowboys receivers last night had some success uh, getting free, but those are some talented receivers. CD lamb, Michael Gallup, Amari Cooper. These are all high pick high asset players who can get free and man coverage. I think Jarvis has a nice game. We're about to see how Richard Higgins does against this type of team. We're about to see Donovan's people Jones and how he plays against this type of physical matchup and how Baker can play against press coverage and then blitzing and pressure. The X factor here, as has been all season, is Kevin Stefanski. If he comes up with a game plan that somehow protects Baker from the onslaught of blitzing that the Ravens use, which Mary Kay said last night, I, I don't think they even got a sack last night against Dallas. So even though they do bring blitzes, that doesn't mean it's always effective. If Stefanski figures this out and the offense looks great again, then, Perhaps we're at a point where, yeah, Baker just is better without Odell because of the way Stefanski's system allows him to see the field. But playmakers like Odell, playmakers like Jarvis Landry make their money getting open against press coverage in primetime games like this. And we're about to find out whether this team misses Odell Beckham Jr. or not. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think it's too soon to have the discussion. I think we all kind of agree on that. 
I, I think it is, is probably going to, it's something they're going to have to figure out in the off season because of the money. Like you mentioned, Mary Kay, there's a lot of money tied up in, in him and Landry. Uh, but look, th- this team is going to the playoffs more than likely barring a collapse. This team is going to the playoffs and I don't know. I guess I'd rather have Odell Beckham Jr. I know he's only played in one playoff game in his career, but I'd, I'd rather have Odell Beckham Jr. on the field and available in a playoff game than not. And to your point, Ellis, I think we can say that that Dallas game would have been maybe a little harder without Odell Beckham Jr. I mean, he made a huge play with that 50-yard run. You know, I don't, I don't know that we can say he won them that game. I mean, that was a, a game where they had 300 rushing yards. Of course, he did have 50 of those. Uh, but – you know, he was a big factor in that game. I thought he was a big factor in the first Cincinnati game. So, it, you know, I'm, I'm just not willing to say that in a playoff game, when you're going against, when that preparation for that game is like 10 times, you know, obviously every week in the NFL, you get a week to prepare, but it's just, it's magnified in the NFL playoffs. The teams are going to, somebody out there is going to figure out how to stop this run game just enough that, that you're going to want a downfield threat like Odell Beckham. Yeah, that very quickly. That's exactly it, Dan. And we just can't forget that Odell bailed him out in Dallas and Odell bailed Baker Mayfield out several times early in the season before this Tennessee Baker showed up. So I I just think that's very important to point out and remember. Yeah, I mean, I don't think they win that Dallas game. I really don't think they win that Dallas game without Odell Beckham Jr. He had three touchdowns in that game. Uh, So yeah, there's no way they're winning that game. And, uh, you know, when you think about that, uh, that was a that was a, a bad defense. And, uh, so, yeah, they really needed him there. And uh, oddly enough, though, to this point, he hasn't been great against uh, against Baltimore and Pittsburgh. But Baker hasn't been great yet against Baltimore and Pittsburgh, except for last year when he did when they did beat the Ravens. Uh, but he has struggled against their pressure. So uh, it would have been interesting to see if in the progression of Baker Mayfield, if against a defense like these next two against Baltimore and Pittsburgh, here now at the end of the season, if those two guys uh, would have been better together as Baker gets better in this offense and in the play action scheme, but you know, they're not going to know that answer. Okay. On to question three, you know what we haven't talked about enough. <laughs> we talked about it all off season and I feel like we, we haven't talked about it enough this season. The topic everybody loves linebackers. I just looked this up here on the fly because I felt like he had a really good game. And of course we talked about, we've talked a little bit about BJ goods and he made a couple of plays on Sunday, but Malcolm Smith in week 13, according to PFF was the second highest graded linebacker in the NFL uh, behind only Robert Spillane who got hurt in that game uh, and only played 21 snaps. Malcolm Smith played 36. He had a defensive grade of 91, four, a tackling grade of 78-8, and a coverage grade of 91-8. Uh, he was also in the backfield a few times. I know he got one sack. Um, I'm not sure if he was credited with the other one. I'd have to look that up. But he played really well. B.J. Goodson made a couple plays in that game, including on you know a, a throw to an offensive lineman, but also had that two-point stop uh, as well. You know, Mac Wilson probably played his best game of the season. I, I don't know exactly what his grade was, but you, know, you did notice him at least a little bit in that game. So the question here for the linebackers is, I guess, how do we feel about this group now? It was the biggest question mark heading into the season. I, th- I think it's probably still the biggest question mark on this defense, w- at least when the secondary is healthy. So how do we feel about these linebackers right now? 
You know what? One of the uh, bright spots really has been uh, B.J. Goodson. I mean, you know, he is making big plays in big moments. And as Kevin Stefanski said yesterday, he's been an inspirational leader of of the defense. Uh, So I think he has kind of set the tone back there. uh, and, And I think he's done a really nice job. And then their role players have come in and they've done what they need to do. Sione Takitaki has made plays when he needs to. As you mentioned, Mac Wilson, uh, they've gotten a great contribution. I, I do remember, I felt like I, every time I was looking up, uh, Malcolm Smith was doing something in that game. He was active and it, it bears out in the grades. So, um, yeah, I think it, it's a group that, that felt, as Mac Wilson said in the beginning, they, they were a much maligned group. And they were kind of dissed. And, uh, you know, I, I think they've stepped up. I think they have stepped up and at times overachieved. Yeah, I agree, Mary Kay. Joe Woods has figured out how to deploy these guys as specialists with B.J. Goodson being the guy who gets the majority of the snaps. Uh, he doesn't come off the field a whole lot. Uh, 54 snaps on Sunday uh, to Jacob Phillips. 18. So that was probably who was relieving him. And then the, the trifecta of Mac Wilson, Malcolm Smith, and Sony Takitaki. Uh, can be deployed in, di- in different ways. And credit that to game planning, um, credit that to keeping these guys fresh. You know, you, perhaps Mac Wilson isn't going to be a guy that's going to play every snap, but when you do get him in situational ball, he can trust his instincts, play fast, and go make a play. Um, and then, you know, Malcolm Smith being the vet that he is um, can be leaned on for the rest of the season. I, I'd be surprised to see if he has long-term plans in this defense, but that's not the point. It's about these this final stretch in the playoffs. And right now he's playing above serviceable football. And then Taki Taki has figured out um, a way to be a, a consistent disruptor in the run game, taking on blockers, uh, helping setting the edge on the outside at times. And that's they're specialists and they're all and top being specialists are also opportunistic in this whole defense when it comes to creating turnovers and having a nose for the football. So credit Joe Woods, credit the coaching staff with coaching and scheming these guys up. And then just keeping them fresh. And I think that's what we're seeing. We're, we're seeing a group of linebackers who are comfortable rotating and Joe Woods knowing how to deploy these guys at the right time. I, I think that's really the key point. I think this whole coaching staff deserves so much credit for not looking at everything that's happened to them, you know, not looking at the deficiencies on the roster and just kind of throwing their hands up and saying, what can we do? You know, and I mentioned a guy when I was talking about the grades from PFF uh, Spillane from Pittsburgh, right? The Steelers lost Devin Bush, who is one of the most important players to their defense. And yet next man up, which I think can sometimes be an overrated phrase, but next man up, he steps in, he, they figure out a way to make it work with him. They're going to have to do the same thing with him out for a little while. Now they have to do the same thing with Bud Dupree out for the season, but you just kind of know, don't you in the back of your mind that Mike Tomlin and the Pittsburgh Steelers are going to figure something out even if it's not exactly as good. And I feel like this Browns coaching staff is doing a lot of those similar things on both sides of the ball. They, they aren't just saying, well, there's nothing we can do about it. They're figuring it out. And these linebackers, I think the points you made Ellis, are a great example. They're figuring out like, okay, BJ Goodson has his deficiencies, but this is what he does really well. So let's figure that out. Let's figure out Sione Takitaki, what he does really well. Um, and, and I just think Joe Woods and his staff deserve a ton of credit. We're seeing it on the offensive side as well. You know, Donovan Peoples-Jones makes the big 75-yard catch. Um, just, just things like that. They just – every coaching staff says we don't make excuses. But the Browns are kind of in that class of coaching staffs that actually 
you know, live it. They don't just say it. Uh, and, and I think it's been impressive to, to see how they've handled that. And the linebacking group is probably a prime example. Yeah. And, you know, this is going to be a good test for them. Yes. I mean, Monday night is going to be an incredibly good test uh, for the linebacking core. So this is an opportunity. And uh, you know what, though? I mean, so so were the Titans. So was D Derrick Henry. Uh, but, you know, now you've got, you know, you saw what Lamar did last night. You know, you've got Mark Ingram back. You know, you've got these guys healthy now. Uh, and they're, they're going to be ready to roll. And they're going to try to be running over the Cleveland Browns because they know that at times they can be vulnerable. Uh, so it, it'll be very interesting to see what the game plan is going to be. We know they, uh, they tried the new wrinkle of the uh, five defensive linemen uh, in, in the past game and uh, see if they use some of that again. But, um, but this will be a game where the, the linebackers absolutely have to be on point. Yeah, Mary Kay, I completely agree with that. Um, of course they kept Derrick Henry in check the run keys on Lamar Jackson, of course, are, are going to be different and e even more of a challenge. And though the Titans had success with their tight end in Tennessee, the Ravens have a guy in Mark Andrews who is just a different level of athlete. Now he's been on the COVID list and I'm not sure if he's uh, where he's on track to play or not, but if he's playing, you know, he had success in week one against them, I believe two touchdowns, uh, the combination of Lamar Jackson. And this is the same Ravens offense. Like, Lamar just still wants to throw it across the middle of the field. That's what he does. And if Andrews is in there, having run keys on Lamar and knowing where Andrews is in the back end, it's going to be their biggest challenge yet. Okay, we're going to take a break. And then when we come back, one more question that I stole from our uh, Cavs beat writer. We'll, uh, we'll get to that after the break. I'm back on the Owen Brown Talk podcast, Dan Lobby with Mary Kay Cabot and Ellis Williams. Okay, so uh, everyone, of course, knows Chris Fedor, who covers the Cavs, does a great job covering them for us. Also, uh, Hosts shows on 92.3 at times, and he invited me to come on a show last week, and he asked me an interesting question, and I wanted to just take a cop out on it and say both, but I, I didn't. I made myself answer the question. He said, who's more important to this run offense, Wyatt Teller or Nick Chubb? I thought it was a fun question, so I'm going to steal it from him, and I'm going to ask you guys. I, I want to know what, what you guys say, and then I'll tell you my answer, uh, how I answered it after. So when you look at those two guys, Who's more important, do you think? You know, I mean, there, there's, for me, hands down, it's, it's Nick Chubb. It's not, it's not even a question. I mean, I, I know that Wyatt Teller has had a, a tremendous season, and you can't take anything away from him. Uh, but Nick is just an incredible runner. Uh, he's amazing with, uh, you know, with yards after contact. Uh, he's doing a nice job catching the ball out of the backfield this year. Uh, th there's just no doubt in my mind uh, the answer to that question is it's Nick Chubb. I, I just, I, I mean, you can live without, you can live without Wyatt Teller. You can, I think you could plug Chris Hubbard in there if you had to. And Wyatt Teller, as we know, right, is right now he's on the COVID list. He's supposed to be back for this game. That's the plan. Uh, and I, I think he will be, um, but you, you can get by without him. Uh, but I, I don't think you'd be wanting to do without Nick Chubb heading into this home stretch. Yeah, before I pick Nick Chubb, I need to say some good things about Wyatt Teller. Uh, to be clear, the guy has just turned himself into an athletic freak. He's in the perfect offense, and he really just is a battering ram when he pulls and clears these holes out. It is so impressive to watch him both on tape and in person. But with all that being said, I agree with Mary Kay. It's Nick Chubb. For really this reason alone, there's only so many home run hitters in this league. And when you're an offense that – 
you know, outside of 75 yard bombs to Donovan Peoples Jones, when you're an offense that needs chunk plays to move the ball at times, Nick Chubb's your guy for that. You know, we Kareem Hunt had, you know, four or five games there to prove he could be that guy. And he still was a, a 10, 11 yard runner, which is by no means a knock, but he's not that home run hitter, the, the Derrick Henry, the Dalvin Cook, uh, Christian McCaffrey, probably Saquon if he was playing. And the list kind of dies there. Alvin Kamara is not necessarily a home run hitter. He's a juiced up Kareem Hunt. Uh, Aaron Jones, not a home run hitter, a, 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 a juiced up Kareem Hunt, if you will. So it's a short list of guys that at any touch could go the distance. And that's what makes Nick Chubb invaluable to this offense is because there's so few running backs walking the earth like him. Well, I should have had Scott Pats go on the pod too. I should have invited him in just for this question because <laughs> unfortunately I gave the same answer uh, when, I, when I was asked this question. So I, I, there's no debate to be had here and among the three of us, I guess. Uh, and then really, LSU kind of made my point for me. It, it's just that ability to score a touchdown anytime he touches the football. And like literally we have seen that from him. Uh, you know, we saw a 92-yard run his rookie year against the Falcons. We've seen 80-yard runs. We've, we saw what he did a few weeks ago when, uh, you know, they just couldn't run the ball for so long. And then he breaks a huge run before Kareem Hunt finishes the drive. I believe that was against the Eagles. So, yeah, I, I mean, Wyatt Teller's been great. He's been incredible. He should be in the Pro Bowl. He's been a big piece of this run game. You do see him out in front on a lot of these runs. But you know what? Joel Batonio, too, deserves credit. Uh, he's out in front on a lot of these screen passes. And uh, so both of these guards ha have been really good. Uh, but Nick Chubb just is that that difference-making back who you hand him the football any place on the field and you're going to see him – you might see him running past defenders with Baker Mayfield chasing after him uh, for any amount of distance. That, that's just how good he is. So, unfortunately, there's, I, none of us are going to sit here and make the case for Wyatt Teller, I guess. <laughs> Sorry, Wyatt. Yeah, look, it, it's interesting that we didn't get to find that out a little bit this year considering both players missed time. They just missed about the same exact time. Yeah. And this is not me, of course, putting injury on anybody, but I, it, I'm saying the obvious football is a carnage sport and there's a chance that perhaps this question answers itself at some point, you know, these linemen hit each other every play and these running backs take hits all the time. So there's a reason you have depth out up front. There's a reason you have depth at tailback and perhaps given the situation, we'll, we'll see that. But just the eye test tells me that the home run hitter and Nick Chubb is too valuable to replace. And, and, you know, there would be, there would be a step down, right? If Chris Hubbard had to play Monday, but like you said, Mary Kate, Chris Hubbard can at least do what he needs to do um, in that position. Or if, if they went with like Nick Harris or, or somebody like that, you have, you have guys who can at least step in. It's just a more replaceable position, I guess. Although, you know, a lot of people would argue running back is, but I just think Nick Chubb is different. No, it, it is. And, and also when you're talking about this wide zone scheme and just how well they are operating out of it and how well Bill Callahan is coaching it up uh, and how well, you know, he's got all of his guys playing uh, to the point where you can plug in Chris Hubbard and he does a really nice job of replacing Wyatt Teller like he did in those games. Uh, just in, in this situation with that line in the wide zone with Bill Callahan, I think you can plug someone else in and you're going to get a really nice performance and it's still going to be beautiful music as long as you've got your guys back there, Nick and Kareem. 
Yeah, quickly, Mary Kay is dead on about that. It's going to be interesting to see how this regime drafts and de develops offensive linemen as as we keep going in all this. And I think that question then will answer itself. You know, if if they're drafting young guys and developing them and then plugging them into a Bill Callahan system, perhaps there's another Wyatt Teller coming. And it just seems unlikely that another Nick Chubb is going to be as easy to find. Ellis, I want to throw a bonus question at you because it's something we asked yesterday. And uh, I asked our football insider subscribers, I sent out a survey to them and I've, I've been seeing the results of it uh, kind of throughout the day and, and been asking them sort of to answer this question. Uh, Mary Kay threw this out to, to me and Scott. What do you think is more likely that the Browns would beat the Chiefs in a playoff game or that the Browns will win the AFC North this year? Oh, man. <laughs> a great question or what? <laughs> great question. Um, no prep. I was not briefed on. No, I, I did. I just sprung this on you. But to be fair, Mary Kay just sprung this on, on Scott and I too. Yeah. Um, for me, and perhaps it's recency bias, but it's got to be winning the North. Um, you know, perhaps Doug was onto a little something when he said, oh, look, the Steelers haven't really beat anyone. And to further that point, these injuries on defense are piling up. You mentioned Devin Bush, no Bud Dupree, though Mike Tomlin can overcome these things. It just athletes are athletes at the end of the day. Um, and the offense hasn't looked that explosive. Like Juju Smith-Schuster had like nine catches for 28 yards the other night. It's just they're not moving the ball downfield. Um, so could you see the Browns backdoor in this and the Steelers getting sloppy all of a sudden not having a bye week piling up? I could because picking against Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs just sounds real silly. And I'm not going to fall on that side of it, uh, not on this evening. All right. Well, now, wait a minute. So, Dan, do you still feel the same way yesterday? That yeah, you guys land? I, I, I said I, I agreed with you, Ellis. I thought it was more likely they would win the AFC North than, than they would beat the Chiefs in a playoff game. And, I, I, you know, obviously there's the caveat of the any given Sunday, you know, or you, like Mary Kay mentioned, maybe Patrick Mahomes test positive for, for COVID or, or something. <laughs> but just – if, if you're just lining up and playing the game and it's a normal football game, I, I'm saying at least right now, it's, it's more likely the Browns win the AFC North. All right. Now, wait a minute. I just have to, I've just got to change you guys on this a little bit. <laughs> the chances of the Browns winning the AFC North right now. Uh, I think ESPN uh, football, football power index has the Steelers chances at 97.6. I think it what is what it is. Right. So that gives the Browns, what 2.4% chance? Am I doing my math right? 2.4% chance of winning the AFC North. So what you guys then are saying, let's extrapolate this. <laughs> the Browns have less than a 2% chance of beating the Chiefs. Really? Yeah. Mary, Mary Kay, let me uh, grab my L Will formula of calculating victory here. <laughs> Oh, yeah, they have a 0% chance of beating the Kansas City Chiefs, especially in Arrowhead. That's that's what my calculations have just told me. So, the, yeah. 23rd ranked defense in the NFL, they can't stop the run. They can't stop the run. So the, the, the counter argument, and I was thinking about this, I did think about this today. I've said before that the Raiders, I feel like the Raiders and Browns are very similar football teams. Mm -hmm. And the Raiders – beat the Chiefs earlier this year and played them tough in another game. I also think there, there's something to be said about the divisional aspect and the fact that they've played each other so much. But, you know, that, that's, that's, I think, maybe where your case would start, that it could happen. Yeah. I, I'm not saying that they're going to beat the Chiefs. Now, this, that's not the question. Too, too late. That's the headline. No, 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 no. The question is, 
what is more likely to happen from a statistical or percentage chance of happening. And you guys are saying, you, and this is going to be, I'm going to put a headline on this, that Dan and Ellis say that the Bron Cleveland Browns would have less than a, less than a 3% chance of beating the Kansas City Chiefs. And that's nuts. I just think that's nuts. I think, I just think that's insane. So Merite, you think the Browns have a 4% chance of beating the, the Chiefs then? Is that where we're landing on this? You don't think that they would have a 4% chance of beating the Chiefs? <laughs> Look, I just explained why I think I'm concerned about Mark Andrews, the Ravens tight end against this defense. Uh, Travis Kelsey is in a whole nother world. There's Tyree Kill out there. All Patrick Mahomes does is buy time. I mean, I don't need to defend the Chiefs over here. And I, I stand behind it. I just don't see a world where um, I think it's pretty obvious who my Super Bowl pick is. And real quickly, I'll say this on the Ringer podcast show, Kevin Clark and uh, Nora Princiati had a brief discussion about what would be more difficult for the Chiefs. Or if you were Andy Reid, which one would you pick? The defense playing with an extra player an entire game oh, yeah. or the Chiefs only having three downs the entire game while the other team still has four downs. So if that's what we're, I mean, that's the kind of conversations we're having about the chiefs. They're just that good. They, um, are, but they can't stop the run and the Browns have it's matchups. This is a game of matchups. Again, I'm not saying that they would beat the chiefs. I just think that the chances of that happening are better than the Browns winning the AFC North. So, so just to let you guys know, um, Here's what our insider subscribers have said as of this moment. Um, I, it was asked in two questions. On a scale of one to 10, with one being the lowest, how likely are the Browns to beat the Chiefs? And then on a scale of one to 10, with one being the lowest, how likely are the Browns to win the AFC North? So uh, the average answer on beating the Chiefs was 3.41. The average answer of winning the AFC North was 2.51. So there you go. Mary Kay, our, our football insider subscribers are with you. I asked two of my other uh, sports writer pals uh, that oh, same. Oh, I know. I know who you asked about this. <laughs> I'm going to have to I just talk asked, to them about it. I did not. It was not a leading question. I just asked them, which one of those two things uh, you think, would you think ha would have a greater chance of happening? And I, I told them it was going to be on the pod for them to listen to today. And they both, they were like, oh God, it's a no, it's a no brainer to pick the Browns chances of beating the Chiefs being greater than the Browns winning the AFC North. Wow. I'm, I'm surprised by that. I just say I'm. Yeah, yep. well, that's what, a, that's what a Northwestern education will get you for one of them. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> That'll do it for this edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Uh, for Mary Kay and Ellis, I'm Dan. Make sure you guys subscribe to Football Insider, by the way. And also, oh, I got to mention, got to watch the tape. We had two long pods go up yesterday. Uh, that was one of the reasons that yesterday's pod was so long because we got into it again on that one. Uh, but I, they were two really good pods. So if you haven't listened, check your feed and, and get back on those. Uh, and of course, we'll have our picks pod coming up and another got to watch the tape on Friday as well. So now for Ellis and Mary Cam, Dan, thanks for listening.